Hi, once again, welcome to another edition of Do You Remember with me, Roland Gent. On today's thing, we are looking at the year 1988. Uh, lots of hits, the headlines, and the football that happened in that year, along with my guest, Lewis Big Lou Jones. back at 1988 this is 32 years ago i remember it well do you Mike. i got engaged in 1988 you did what i got engaged to be married in 1988 did it work out uh not really um wedding was 1989 and ended in 1996 sadly oh right <laughs> well welcome to comedy uh <laughs> Oh no, there was loads of laughs, you know what I mean? Loads of laughs. Seven year itch. All right, okay, we'll probably best draw, draw a veil over that. Uh, so, uh, 1988, you, you would have been what, early 20s or something 20, like that? Yeah, 20, 23. I would have been 22, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would I have had my 23rd birthday in the August, so I was born in 1965. Right, I'm a year younger than you, so I yeah. uh, was. I'd, I got a I got a qualification in business studies and then decided to clear off to America for a summer and work on a kiddie's summer camp. Nice. And that's what I did. I thought, I'll do this while I'm young. Uh, and uh, there was all sorts happening as well. So, um, memories-wise, where should we start off with? Uh, music or what was going on in general? I think, well, I think music-wise... It was a pretty bad year, really, because we'd had Stock Aikman and, Stock Aikman and Waterman had kind of set their stall up the year before, and it turned out loads of, like, Kylie and Jason and all that sort of stuff, and it, it yes. just wasn't that good, was it? You know what I mean? Well, I think it, it was a kind of a... It was a split year, because um, Tony Wilson always had this philosophy that uh, good things happened on, the, like, the seventh year of a decade. And there's always right. This, there's always this idea on the seventh or eighth year of a decade, the the economy either uh, collapses or or go or goes up, right? Sort of a borrow and spend economy, and also something always happens in music. Oh well, that was the idea, you know. Sixty-seven, the summer of love. Seventy-seven, punk, and then acid house. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight. So yeah, what, what you got is kind of this whole acid house thing, and then Stock Aitken and Waterman. So it's like. Uh, Good and bad yin yang, the angel and the devil happen at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm saying that I'm saying it was poor. There was some brilliant. I think album wise, there was some great. I, see, I'm a massive ELO fan, so I'm a big ELO fan, and they'd finished long before 1988. Oh, but yeah. uh, the 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 most, I'm I'm going to put my neck on the line here and say the biggest supergroup of all time was formed in 1988. Um, Travelling Wilburys. It guess. is. It is. The Travelling Wilburys, if you take away Live Aid and you take away uh, the, the USA for Africa conglomerate, those, those sort of like meetings, yeah. the biggest supergroup of all time has got to be the Wilburys. Beat up and battered around Been sent up and I've been shot down You're the best thing that I've ever found if you're looking at like record sales associated with each person because five of them them five had massive massive uh record sales 
prior to being the Travelling Wilderness. So they've got to hold the record for the for the biggest selling supergroup. Okay. What I mean? Well, just just the Wilburys or you know Dylan. No, I mean them five. If they put all their record sales in the pot and put it under the banner of Travelling Wilburys, and that would be the biggest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So Travelling Wilburys wise, could you class them as being better than Dylan? Better than Jeff Lynne? I Lynn? think no. I think that's weird, isn't it? So the the um, the collective five were brilliant, but. Yeah the individual parts of that group were better than the group if, if that makes sense oh I mean. absolutely um, but yeah I mean what a coming together that was in 1988 somewhere else until again in 1988 Roy Orbison died just when they were getting going he died oh, oh you know what I mean selfish <laughs> and I don't know if you know this as a bit of trivia they, they did find a replacement for him and they were set to launch as the Travelling Wilburys again in 1990, I think. And then the guy that they chose to replace Roberson died. He died. Really? It's, yeah. a, it's a spinal tap thing going on here. Shocking. Del Shannon it was. As in Del Shannon Runaway? Yeah, he was He was set to replace. He was going to be the, 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 the fill-in for Roberson. And unfortunately, he took his own life in 1990. Oh, this is cheerful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. But I love the Travelling Wilburys. I do. I love them. I forgot that George Harrison was in them. He was. So yeah, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, and Roy Orbison. That's some uh, line up, that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I remember. I was. Um, that, there's a thing that brings back the memory. I, I was. I saw the news about um, Roy Orbison. While I was walking through Sheffield for some reason. Right. I can remember. I was. I was walking through Sheffield and, and picked up a newspaper and read about it. And um, what's his name? Jonathan King. God, do you remember him? Yeah, he, and the same in USA. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah and, and various <laughs> other uh, misdemeanors. Yeah, yeah. Proper, <laughs> you know, proper DJ. Yeah. <laughs> he described Roy Orbison as the ugliest man in the world in an obituary. Wow. Wow. And I was like, okay, perhaps he was a bit too old for you, Jonathan. Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. It was an age thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and also, if, if we're going to quote Jonathan King... Uh, saying what Roy Orbison was. Elvis Presley was once quoted as saying that Roy Orbison had the best voice ever. And that was Elvis said it. So I prefer Elvis to Jonathan King any day. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he did it to the high notes and only the low. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think 1988 for me, it wasn't about the singles. It was about the albums to me. There was a few decent singles throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Perfect by Fairground Attraction stood the test of time. It's got to be worth it, yeah. Too many people take second best. Well, I won't take anything less. It's got to be, yeah. Perfect, John. Still got the 88. I've still yeah, yeah, that was a great, great song. Uh, Eddie Reader, brilliant. She still gets, uh, she still gets up for the best female Brit every year just because of that. Because <laughs> they run out of people to. Uh, let's just get Eddie Reader on that list. Do you know what I mean? What? So she can come fourth just behind Annie Lennox, who's on the list. Yeah, every- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Claire Grove in third. Um, you two, you two had desire in 1988.
And I that, think I think Rattle and Hum, uh, the album it came from, was fantastic. Yeah, I like the album because I mean they did do Angel of Harlem and they put you know they, they added yeah. a soul and blues to their sound. Yeah, which I'd previously gone off them a bit. And I did like the album, but there were a few bits of that film, if you've ever seen it, that made me cringe with embarrassment. Yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean, yeah. yeah. Sat, sat next to some freeway going, yeah, we're blues now. And it's like, yeah. of course you are, yeah. Bono. Yeah. Bono's you, decided it, this is what we're doing. The other three are going, oh, God, what are we doing now? Oh, but the, the good thing about you two is they've managed to keep together and the whole of the, the, whole of the world's decided that Bono's a dick and the rest yeah. of them have gone, well, he is, yeah. We agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> but more people on the planet have seen you two live than any other band or artist. Is that a good thing? Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I I would go and see them if I thought they were going to play various bits. <laughs> Excuse me. Like if they're going to do loads from Rattling Um and Joshua Tree, then I'd be happy. But some of the other stuff maybe not as uh, not as appealing to me. And I'm lo- I'm looking at the best selling albums of 1988 in the UK charts. Yeah, number one. What the, the biggest selling album of, of that of eighty eight in the UK? <laughs> is it a greatest hits album? Uh, no. Is it a soundtrack? No. So it's an indi- is it a group's band uh, a band's it's release? An indiv- it's an individual. An individual artist. Yeah. Tracy Chapman. No, it's Kylie. There you go then. Do you know what I mean? Kylie was the number one selling artist with with her album Kylie. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Lucky, lucky coincidence being called Kylie, and managing to name your album that. Number two was Cliff Richard's Private Collection. Oh, that's amazing. Well, uh, anything that Cliff Richard has collected privately, I think should remain private. He probably got it off Jonathan King. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> number three was Michael Jackson and Bad, which was. Which was bad. I mean, Thriller, Thriller was fantastic. That was a bit of a, a game changer, I thought. And then Bad was like too much, just too much noises. You know what I mean, mm. yeah, Tracy Chapman was number seven. Right. Okay. Well, two of my favourite albums of all time came out in 1988. And I remember one? buying them on the same day. Um, Kick by NXS. Yep. And Love by Aztec Camera. And I still play Aztec Cameras Love on a regular basis, a, a lot. Okay. Yeah, I played that a lot. I don't know. Good, good band. So, it sort of should have got further. I thought Aztec Camera. Yeah, Maybe. I think he's a fantastic musician, Roddy Frame. I saw him. I went with. Um, I don't know if you know Rob Medford and Mel Medford. I went uh, to uh, the Lowry a couple of years ago, and it was just it was just Roddy Frame, and someone on it was him on the guitar, someone on the piano, and it was just superb. It was it was like nearly two hours of just class. Loved it. Loved oh. it. Yeah, in excess kick was number fifteen in the UK all time selling charts. Right. Oh, right. That shit. was a great LP as well. The one which surprises me, you know how the memory plays tricks, is um Fleetwood Mac, Tango in the Night. 
Yeah. I was under the impression that that came out in the early 80s, you know. Um, yeah, you know what, if you'd have asked me that, I'd have, I'd have said 85 at the latest. Maybe it was still selling. Or well, maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, Let, let's yeah, it might have been. Let's Tangle. Google it. Let's Google it. 13th of April 1987. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd have thought it was later as well. Still selling, 1988. Um, and it was one of those where, um, when you heard the tracks on the radio, I didn't know that was Fleetwood Mac because I uh, I suppose all the stuff from Rumours yeah. was what associated with Fleetwood Mac is sounding like. And then they did that one, Tusk, which was a double album. And yeah. then... Uh, the sound completely changed on that one. I, I Tusk, didn't really... Tusk was the marching band one, wasn't it? Yeah, double album. Yeah, which was pretty mad. Uh, and the one that I remember, because as I said, I was in America uh, in the middle of Missouri uh, for, for some length of time. Right. Tracy Chapman was on the radio virtually non-stop. Yeah, fast car, and the other one which I'm actually looking at the CD uh, now on, on my desk here. In fact, if, maybe if I lo- hold you tonight, was it? N- no, uh, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Oh, oh right, right, I thought you meant the Tracy Chapman one, sorry. Oh, no, j- just Tracy Chapman, just the, the, the first one. Right. And Guns N' Roses was just like every 10 minutes. Uh, right. Sweet, sweet Child of Mine was on the radio. So whenever you hear that now, you're back in America. Yeah, watching dishes. Living the dream. Well, yeah. One day, one day I'll make it. I mean, yeah, I'll get up to the spoons or knife. <laughs> yeah. I'll be able to dry soon. You know I mean? yeah. Oh no, I don't know if you've ever been to like the whole summer camp thing. It's like uh, strange to us because you're literally out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Literally, rich kids whose parents have sent them off to be in the middle of the woods, and you're you're in a cabin with like twenty other British guys. It's like get up at six, <laughs> set the tables, and wash the pots for them. You just <laughs> charge with keeping them alive. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We don't and, care what they learn or what they do; just keep them alive. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. And you know, you knew they were fairly well to do, being as the guy turned up with a speedboat and was giving like uh, <laughs> skiing lessons. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just remember the humidity over there. It's, it's not the sun or the heat; it's the humidity. Yeah. Which is just like you get up at six AM by like eight o'clock in the morning, you're sweating through all your clothes, you know, piling these dishes into a huge dishwashing machine, then then gone gone back off shift, had a had a wash, change your clothes and got ready to feed them all again at tea time. <laughs> so Missouri, that's where like back in the day all the cowboy films were like Missouri, weren't they? Where it was just like loads of desert and Well no, Missouri's um it, well, it's on the it's on the banks of the Mississippi. Right. And it's quite green and once you get sort of that the, obviously the Mississippi is the dividing line between the kind of right. east and west. It's a river like you know ten times wider than you ever seen any, anything in this country. Yeah. And 
once you get past there you're into kansas and that really is the midwest it's like you right. know, americans are like no nah, nothing nothing to see there nothing to see till you get to wizard London. of Oz country yeah it, it's it's very it's very it gets very countryfied um but yeah i remember i just remember the, the humidity of the place and, and also the fact that you know we went to downtown st louis and the you know, it's got a huge arch to indicate this is the gateway to the west, and then the, the, the city centre's about as big as Oldham. Wow. <laughs> you know, it, it's just sort of like everybody's gone to the suburbs, and from the city centre out to the suburbs where, like, this guy who I knew lived was about 30 miles. Right. <laughs> uh, every, everybody's gone a white flight to the suburbs, and basically walking around an American city centre was dangerous. <laughs> he didn't do it. Yeah, the thoughts so, yeah, yeah. So, I'm just trying to, I think as well, um, yeah, I've got mates who, who, who went to America working. I think Steve Bajaya did it. Yeah. In fact, Steve Bajaya does a bit on his, uh, in his, or he used to do in his set, and I've, I've, heard, I've seen bits of clips where he's done TV, and he's mentioned Camp America, doing the American camp thing, yeah? All oh, right, okay. No, wow. everybody did it as a cheap ticket to America, because you've got, yeah. you got a free flight, then work your socks off all summer and you get like a hundred dollars and it's like see you yeah. go, go off on a greyhound bus so um that, that was something crazy that i did and uh, i've grown up since then see but, that was my big regret I, I had a chance to go into bermuda in a in 1984 and i had a job lined up at a place called the southampton princess hotel i had family that lived in bermuda so i had people there and um i just couldn't leave i couldn't leave my mum on her own do you know what i mean i was like this isn't leaving home, this is leaving, this is leaving. So I couldn't do it. I bottled out about a week to go. Oh, Contacted no. and said, look, I'm really sorry. I do regret it now. But then yeah. again, I did I did spend time with my mum through that period. So it was one of those things. But I do think it would have it would have been a good experience for me. Oh, radio. Okay. So just, just back to back to the music, because the funny thing was, I do remember being on this summer camp and like loads of Brit- British guys had brought some... Um, Tapes, you remember tapes? I do remember tapes, yeah. And they, they brought these tapes of this Acid House stuff, which was really big. And the thing is, I didn't equate it, because I'd been, like, obviously living in Manchester, you go to the Hacienda, because yeah. it was a club. It wasn't like, hey, I'm in a musical revolution. It's just Saturday night, where are we going to go? Let's go to that funny club that's decked out like a car park. Yeah. And I remember we used to go, because they used to play, like, The Cure and The Smiths and all that. And then one time they started playing this dance music with no lyrics. I, I, I didn't know quite what it was. Right, <laughs> that was a long intro, this, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> When's the singing going to start? Why are people dancing like crazy? I don't understand are they this. On, are they on drugs? What's going on here? I know. Apparently I was at the start of a musical revolution. I just thought, when's the vocal coming? <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I'm just looking at Substance by Joy Division. <laughs> there's, a, there's a link. I mean, Substance yeah. and Joy Division. I mean, Because we used to go see bands at the Hacienda. You know, I've... Yeah. The Pogues saw them, King Madonna, Kirk. Madonna played her first British gig at the Hacienda. Yeah, Des Sharples. Do you know Des Sharples? I do. Very fond of Des De- Sharples, yeah. It was going to go to, because he used to collect autographs, and he's like, so what about this silly American singer? Nah, I won't bother with her. Jeez. 
It's yeah. like, if only I'd have got Madonna's autograph. Like. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I once had to get some roast, um, some chicken fillets at half ten at night to get on a private jet. And a little lackey was panicking because we need chicken, we need to get chicken breast. I went, leave it with me. I can sort these sort of things. It's not a problem. <laughs> on the phone to the Four Seasons Hotel, straight over. No problem. Because you used to put like famous people onto planes. What's the deal? I did, yeah. We used to put them on, take them off, look after them, then look after the crew and the plane. Yeah, it was uh, all the A-class celebrities that would come into Manchester would come in through a back door, which was us. So we would deal with all them on the quiet. So it was brilliant. I got to meet everybody. I got so many music tickets and gig tickets because of it. Because wow. the, 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 the tour manager was always grateful that you'd made it at sort of easy passage for the celebrities so they would get an easier life with their bosses sort of thing so i used to do all the pre-clearance and job all their um work permit stuff so that they would land at manchester and breeze through into a car and away so because of that we used to get loads of vip tickets and stuff like that who'd you get <sighs> everyone um acdc guns and roses foo fighters wow. um motley crew just everyone just if there was a band came through Manchester Airport in a period between 2000 and 2010, we met them. You know what I mean? Oh, righty -o. And the, yeah. did they give you the, the suitcase full of powder? And you had to... No, we had to sneak that around for them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we had to just not look at that. But yeah, it was great. And there was loads of that going on, you know what I mean? Tons of that going on. Motorhead was the best one. Um, the smoking ban had just come in. Motorhead were going out on a flight at, say, three o'clock in the afternoon, so they pitched up at two, dead early. Because really, you just had to get there one minute to three. You didn't have to do any waiting. So they turned up at two o'clock, so I stuck them in the VIP lounge, and there was, like, Motorhead and then, like, the, the road, a few of the road crew sort of thing. And they were carrying big ice boxes, which I thought were for the plane. And I said to them, I'll put you in the VIP lounge. If you need anything, there's tea and coffee here and soft drinks and biscuits. And if you need to smoke, there's an area outside where you can have a smoke. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. No problem. So about 50 minutes later, I thought, I'll just go and check it and make sure they're all right. Jesus. The the, the uh, ice buckets were full of Jack Daniels and Coke. <laughs> uh, and they were all sat there smoking joints and smoking cigarettes. And it was like, honestly, it was like a smoke room. And I, walked, <laughs> I opened the door. And I just looked at Lemmy and he looked at me and I went, everything okay? And he went, yeah, fine, mate. I thought I didn't say anything. I just left him. You know I mean? <laughs> just left him to it. How can you pull them up on that? You know what I mean? Yeah, le Lemmy, stop being Lemmy. <laughs> yeah, Lemmy, stop it. Have a coffee. Put that cigarette out, have a coffee. Have a, have a cappuccino. Yeah. All right, okay. Amazing. Well, just a few more things on, on music. I mean, yeah. You're, you're stock aching and waterman, my God. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, all that stuff. Mel and Kim, that's the way it is. Sunita, wow. Rick Astley, yeah. together forever and take me to your heart. Bros, Bros were about as well. Glenn Medeiros were about. It was yeah. horrible, wasn't it? It was just, it was like sickly pop. Robin Beck, never like that either. But I mean. every, every every song had exactly the same backing track. It did. It all went.
together forever. I should be so lucky. It's just it's the just same. Bobbins, wasn't it? I'm looking at all the number ones from that year. Phil Collins, even that was a cover version. Groovy kind of love. Oh. Whitney Houston, one moment at a time, sickly sweet. Enya, Orinoco flow. Ooh. Cliff Richard, as usual at Christmas. Awful. It was an awful year for number one singles, I think. Yeah, but number one LPs was great because there was lots of there was lots of greatest hits out in 1988 mm. from bands that had been going, you know, through the early 80s and late 70s. You know what I mean, so there was a lot of greatest hits, which was good. Mm. Um, but singles-wise, it was a bad year, mate. Bad yeah. year. Bad year for singles. Good year for albums. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. And uh, the the damp stuff came out. I oh, like S Express. The theme tune from S Express. That was a good one. Oh yeah, that was out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, thing is, I never got into all that damp stuff because. I just it just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, it wasn't for me. I I I never understood it until um, perhaps I, I ingested something and then kind of got it. <laughs> like a lot of people. See, if I had to pigeonhole, usually when I pigeonhole people music-wise, you, I would say, if someone said, "What's Roland Gent music-wise?" I'd say he's an old punk at art. Yeah, um, yeah. He's an old punk at art, and he would, you know, he's a bit eclectic, but he's a punk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, you know, like the Clash and stuff like that, I'd have put yeah, you yeah. down for. Yeah, I'll, but I'll, that's my main thing. But I like bits of Northern Soul, you know, reggae. Bits yeah, of I do. The metal, you know. Yeah. Okay. And my favourite, my favourite album of all time is Bat Out of Hell. So I do like something that's a bit more not, not rock, you know, like a bit rocky. And I don't mind a bit of a ballad, a rock ballad. But uh, yeah, '88 wasn't the best, mate. You know what I mean? No, no. Anyway, uh, football-wise, you want to move on to football? Football. What a great year for the FA Cup. Oh, it certainly was. Oh, what a, that's one of the most memorable matches I've ever seen that not involved my team. I mean, right. So you're from Manchester, but you support Everton. Let's clear this up. Yeah, I'm an Evertonian. Uh, I'm Mancunian first and foremost. I always say that. They always say you're a Scouser. No, I'm not a Scouser. I'm a proud Mancunian. It just so happens that my dad was an Everton fan and a Scouser, and it's just a family thing. So, ah. um, so I am an Everton fan. Uh, 88. Uh, it meant Liverpool didn't get the double because he'd already won the league. Yes, uh, and then had... he played Wimbledon and um, they lost one nil. Yeah, the, the, and the thing is, in those days, the cup final was the cup final. Yeah, it, it was the highlight of the season. There was no semis at Wembley. There was none of that rubbish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it meant something to both teams. That yeah. was another thing. And the, the other thing was, the underdog could win it. Yeah, because yeah. We've had recent years in cup fans. It's been like Arsenal four, Southampton nil. You know, City six, Watford yeah. nil. Yeah. Opposition don't even get a kick, and and you're looking at the team and going, well, there's one English player who might think this is a good game. Yeah, yeah. Just, oh, we we just kick the ball past these selling platers and it's lost it's lost its sheen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So, talk talk us through the final then. Liverpool against Wimbledon. Well, if you if you're a betting man, uh, it was Liverpool's to win by 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 a mile because, like I say, they'd already won the league. They were the, that team they had in the in the eighties was something else. Everton oh, yeah. came a close second overall to Liverpool in the eighties, I think. Yeah, there was a period when the championship stayed on Merseyside for about yeah. six yeah. seasons. Like yeah, it was that. me. Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, it was brilliant to be an Everton fan at the time. I had a season ticket for um, for part of it. Um, and I watched a lot of games. I went to a lot of uh, a lot of games. I went to the Cup Winners Cup final. I went to the FA Cup final a couple of years on the run. But '88, 
uh, Liverpool were hands, hands on favourites to beat Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, obviously, crazy gang. Can't really, you can't really measure them out. I, I, I did a gig recently with uh, Vinnie Jones. Oh, crikey. And what an imposing man. Wow. So I can imagine on the day, Liverpool would have been like, we're going to win this, but, you know, I bet they're, they're a bit nervous, I think. I think they're a bit nervous at who they were playing because they were known for being nutters, weren't they? Well, yeah. Uh, and then also, John Aldridge taking a penalty. You, you're not going to bet against him missing or having no. it saved. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, uh, he he was a kind of like um, the, the the second Ian Rush, really, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was like a clone, wasn't he? Yeah. And Liverpool, they, I mean... They, they did have a great team, let's be straight. But oh, it, fabulous. A bit like watching Steve Davis play the snooker, you just think somebody beat them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody beat them. Yeah. And uh, so, Laurie Sanchez scored with a header. John yeah. missed. And uh, I think everybody in the country celebrated wildly to watch Liverpool lose. Frank. It was amazing, yeah. Yet nine minutes from half-time, a controversial free kick awarded against Nickel led to Wimbledon's goal. Wise's free kick, Sanchez header, and the unexpected, some had said even the impossible, had happened. As the second half unfolded, Wimbledon were comfortably holding their own when, controversially again, Goodyear was judged to have fouled Aldridge. If the decision for a penalty was unjust, the outcome was right and made history. Aldridge's shot, saved by Besant, was the first penalty ever missed in a cup final. And I think as well, it, the League Cup as well was a shock as well because Luton beat Arsenal. Yeah. And I think Luton, I think Luton might have got relegated that year. I'm not sure. I think okay. they might have gone down. Um, oh no, they didn't. They, they, oh, uh, oh no, no, they didn't actually. No, they, they're about mid-table. Um, but it was still a massive shot because Arsenal were, were, were odds-on favourite for that as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And the, the thing was, if if you ask people what division was Wimbledon in when they played in the cup final, <laughs> most, most yeah. Most people think, oh, they're in the third division. It's like, no, they finished, I think, seventh. Yeah, yeah. Seventh in the Premier, something like that. Yeah, seventh they were, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Luton were in the Premier as well. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as if they were, like, in the fourth division or something. Chip in there by Danny Wilson. Now Bynes. Hit the outside, there's Steen! And Luton are ahead! In the very last minute! And uh, yeah, I mean, every, everybody cheered watching Arsenal lose. As well. I yeah, mean, I... absolutely. Yeah, I mean, said that Oxford United were the, were the bottom team that year. So Oxford United used to be in the top flight then as well. So yeah, that did, did you have to quick ground? Uh, no, oh my no. God. It's like down, down the back of some allotments and uh, on, onto some terrace, you know, and then a ten foot high cage that you stood behind. Well, you're a Chesterfield fan, aren't you? Yeah. If you stood on the on the very back of the terrace, you could see over the cage and see wow. most of the pitch. So that, but that was kind of normal. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, you know. did you ever go to Luton? Uh, yeah, it's horrible. Through a gap between underneath some houses, yes. like the way into the into the ground. Yeah, I mean Luton's ground. I'll just describe. They still play there. Uh, on one side, the main stand side, there's a dual carriageway, <laughs> so you can't really walk around the back of the main stand. Yeah. 
at, at the back of the home goal, everybody has to go in at the back of the home goal, which was like a big, big terrace. Yeah. Seats. That's where everybody had to go in. And then on another side, uh, you couldn't get in there because it was like houses backing onto it. And it was like they built a sort of a greenhouse or like, you know, these, um, what do you call them, exec boxes down one side. Yeah. And at the back of the other end, which used to be a terrace, you literally had to go between some houses to, and it's like, there's number 33 Acacia, Acacia Avenue, yeah. there's the dial, and there's number 34 next door. And it's like, what the hell? And then you, yeah. you, you go up some like metal steps to get in, and you're literally going past somebody's washing on the. You know? <laughs> so it, it is a bizarre thing, but it, yeah. it's, it's like Rose. Well, that's the football, though, isn't it? It's great, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Everton won Charity Shield in this year as well. Yeah. Beat Liverpool. Yeah. In, yeah. Because it's well, one, the, the cup final though, Liverpool Everton. It was always Liverpool win though. Sad to say, from your point. I know, yeah. I was there. I was there in nineteen eighty six, heartbreaking, and I was, was there in eighty five for the United one as well. So oh. I wasn't a very good mascot. Oh my god! Right, and uh, yeah, if and you look at the other teams who who won divisions. The fourth division was won by Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wow! Yeah, look at them now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and. I remember Wolves were broke. I mean, that you know, the club had basically gone bust. In, in today's money, somebody would have yeah. ploughed plowed the ground over. And there were only had two sides of the ground were actually open. Uh, right, yeah. And so they managed to win the, win that division. I think we, we were probably in it. Oh, God. Uh, going to Wolves away was not nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just looking at Division 1 or, or Division 3, as it was then. Yeah. And there's Chesterfield at 18, and there's there's poor old Berry at 14, no longer with us. Oh my God, Berry! That was always it. I always remember Berry being a third division team, and you know, okay, you know, fourth division, third division. Yeah, that yeah. time they got in the second division. I was like, wow. I remember going watching play City at, at Gig Lane. Yeah. Like, and that, that's not. It doesn't feel that long ago, but obviously it was a fair bit now, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, you know. The, the gap between the divisions financially was not that great. Yeah. You could, you could plug that gap, whereas... Not I mean, like the golf that's there now. Oh, no. I mean, you, you, looking at that Sunderland programme on the telly, did you see that one? The uh, I've Sunderland. watched it. I watched it only one night, Series 2, the other night. Yeah. Did, did you see that stat that was there on how much players get paid in each division when they were, the players... Yeah. Yeah, how it, how it drops to the last level. Yeah. Oh, we're only on a £1,000 a week or something. Yeah. Wow. You're only on 50 grand a year, and then it gets to Championship or, or League Two or whatever we call it, League One. I don't know. And um, what I mean, most of them are on half a million. Ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, and there are millionaire players at the top end of the Championship. Um, and then you know you got into the Premier, and every player, even the, the subs, are on a million pound a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird, right? Where I do I do lots of sportsmen's dinners now. Yeah. So the people I do sportsmen's dinner with were big names were big names back in the day yeah and they're still working because they have to so in 10 years 15 years time I don't know which footballer is going to be doing these dinners because they don't need the money the only people in, in the maybe the ones in the lower leagues might need the money yeah but they're not going to be known they're not going to be names they're only going to be able to do dinners in, in areas where they played yeah that's right and there's, there won't be many bringing uh, you know like a, a, a draw to it all but some of the footballs I've worked with, they were big players. I mean, John Barnes, um, what's his name? Neville Southall. Uh, Making Thomas. No, Neville doesn't. I've not done one with Neville. 
Um, Mark Crossley does it. He's brilliant, Mark Crossley. Um, Steve Daly, who was at Wolves and City. Wolves. Million. The first ever one and a half million pound player. And he's brilliant. He's so good as a speaker. He's very good. Oh, right, yeah. Because so. the thing is, I remember there was um, Kevin Reeves, Steve Daly. Yeah. Somebody else, Man, Man City side. Trevor Francis. Trevor Francis. Uh, saw all them. I saw Wolves play Man City one year, went with my dad. And uh, he looked at these million pound players and he just thought they're crap. Yeah, <laughs> some of these, huh. you know, some you know, the the million pound was transfer was broken, and then the, it, it, people were just signing them just to say we've got a million pound player. Yeah, just to beat it. Yeah, and I think that's what Man City were under Peter Swales all those years ago. Well, it's <laughs> funny because ever, ever um, in 1988, um, Cotty signed Everton. Yeah, but before that, um, Gaza became in July. Gaza became the first two million pound footballer in Britain. And wow. then a, a month later, Tony Carter became the most expensive player at 2.3 million. And then two weeks later, Liverpool signed uh, Ian Rush back from Juventus for 2.7. So it which, changed in three months, three months period. And uh, yeah. which, which out of those was the best transfer? Um, let's say uh, probably Paul Gascoigne. I mean, Tony Cotty, don't get me wrong, Tony Cotty, his, his first game for Everton was an actually against Newcastle. Brilliant start. And in fact, I'm sat in my office at home at the moment and behind me is um, a signed Tony Cotty, massive big. It's loads of Everton strikers from Everton strikers from the various decades. Yeah. And Tony Cotty signed is, yeah. Somebody got it with me 50th, it's lovely. So yeah, I was, a, I was a big Tony Cotty fan, but I think Gazza, Gazza's special, isn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. Gazza was a special player. Only had to done his knee in. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that, that was a good move. I mean, the year before, um, Glenn Hoddle went to Monaco for 800,000. Wow. Can, can wow. You what would he what, be worth what, now in his prime? Yeah. <laughs> wow, because he was, he was without doubt the best English midfielder of that era. Yeah, when he wanted to be. Yeah, when he wanted to be, yeah. He was untouchable when he, at his best, yeah. Because that um, Spurs team, I mean, Hoddle and Ardiles, they could beat anybody on a Saturday afternoon at White Hart Lane. Uh, yeah. Wet, wet weekend at, uh, you know, away at Coventry. They didn't turn up. <laughs> I always think, I always think if the Falklands had been the year before, City would have won the FA Cup that year. Because <laughs> City played, City played uh, Tottenham in 81 and Ricky Vila scored that goal. Yeah, and him and our dealers were outstanding. Well, if the Fultons had started twelve months earlier, they'd have been deported to France or wherever it was they got sent to, and Tottenham <laughs> would have got beat in the final. So, yeah, well, these days if if there's a war, there's not many English players left. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five aside, uh, wasn't it now the Premiership? You know what I mean, <laughs> uh, oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I went to see Everton play Chelsea this year, and um, about two English players on the pitch. Yeah. So, uh, that's quite impressive, really, isn't it? You know what I mean, good year for football or what? Um, I think the eighties was apart from obviously we we lost the European oh. games. Um, the European games disappeared because of uh, of Heisel. Um and obviously Euro eighty eight in Germany that year uh, we lost all three group matches. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, my dad... we were terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, my my dad went. I w I would have gone, but I went to America, and it's just yeah. like. Um, well, they lost the Ireland game, and that that put the that put the mark yeah. on it. Yeah, 
I mean, and obviously Bobby Robson got all the grief then, and we were lucky really to have him for Italia ninety. Yeah, um, I'm surprised that the, the the tabloid scum didn't drive him out, but obviously he stuck to his guns. And then Italia ninety, even though we lost um, to Germany, was still a, a, a success. One, it? It, it it's the furthest we'd been for a long time, and and, and there was like pride it, back in the team. You know what I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. No, I mean the, the thing was with the '88 competition, lost to Ireland, and suddenly Ireland's got a good team. And you looked at the team that the, the Ireland had. They're all English. <laughs> well, they, they had a tremendous midfield and a really hard defence. Yeah. And uh, yeah, John Aldridge up front. But if the, the way the way they played, it was only going to be one nil or nil nil every game. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's never going to be like three two to either side. <laughs> Together, Galvin pulling it across. A missed kick by Sansom, in goes Aldridge, and Houghton! 1-0! So they did have a good team, and then England had to face Holland in the next game, yeah. up against Van Basten. They went 1-0 yeah. down, as I recall, and then came back, Brian Robson scored, and then I think the Dutch turned on the style a bit, 1-3-1. <laughs> yeah, I, I always remember that 88 tournament for that Van Basten goal. Yeah. And then winning it, you know, they were just class. Yeah, they're way ahead of everyone else, you know what I mean? They deserve to win. And sometimes yeah. you see a top team and you think, yeah, you know, you, des you deserve to win this. Yeah. And then the third game, I think England played Russia and they'd given up by then and lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, good old England. I mean, yeah, um, not not as good as we like to think they are. No shocks there. I've, I've, I've retired from international football now. I don't follow England anymore. Oh, right. I, I thought you quit. So, like, <laughs> no, I, I wish. I mean, now that they came, there came a time on my 40th birthday where I had this awakening that I would never play professional football now because I'm 40. Not any other reason than I was 40. You know what I mean? Not the yep. fact I couldn't play. Right. Yeah, not, not 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 the fact that you're old enough to be the player's dad. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was looking at I was looking at people who were born in 1988, and I was like, "That's depressing, isn't it?" Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they were only just being born. Like I think it was Jesse J, that singer Jesse J, oh born in 1998, and I'm thinking, "Geez, Premier League footballers <laughs> now, yeah. now now established in the team." So uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's that's how that was. The fo football was uh, there was a lot going on. It, it was interesting. There were some good times at home, not so, not so much abroad. And yeah. uh, in in general, uh, life life in general in 1988. What, what sort of cars were we driving? What sort? Of, uh, what, were we doing? what was I? I was driving a Vauxhall Astra. All oh, right. Okay. It only just come out. It was like a little sporty one. It was quite nice actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was all right. I, I remember. Um, I used to work, I worked at the Masonic Temple in Manchester on Bridge Street in 1988. What were you, a Mason? Uh, no, but I worked for the Masons. I was like the assistant manager of the venue. Oh. It was a beautiful building, stunning building. And obviously you saw all the Mason stuff going on. Uh, very nice people, always had a lot of time for them. Um, massive charity people. Uh, I got invited to join lots of lodges. And I said, listen, I'd love to. I'm sure it'd benefit me going forward. But I'm here six days as it, as it is, and that's enough. 
<laughs> so I turned it down. I had the chance. I've got still got friends who did, and they're still still involved. But but I remember watching that '88 Cup final in this really posh room within the Masonic. <laughs> uh, it was. We had this TV. It was called the Library. This room it was stunning, and we we dragged this TV down and watched that match there. So yeah, I was working at the Masonic Temple. I just got engaged. I was still living at my mum's. I didn't have loads of money, but I wasn't spending money. I didn't have any bills. And I'd just gone for my first house, which I got the keys for in the March of 89. So so it was a busy time for me, really. It was a bit of a, a transition period from being a kid living with my mum to being getting married. So All right, with yeah. the real world around the corner. I was, I was not driving anything. Came back from America, I think, and then I, I signed up for a journalism course at Sheffield. That's why I was that's why I was walking through Sheffield. I remember that. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, so much for journalism. <laughs> There's no money in that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the internet's killed it. <laughs> yeah. Who buys who buys newspapers anymore? I certainly don't. No. Well, sometimes I, I, pick up the metro on the tram, and that's it. Mm. I, yeah. On the internet, anybody can be a rubbish journalist. Yeah. Any anybody can be a rubbish comedian as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it, what we had in in uh, the news and politics, obviously Margaret Thatcher was still the prime minister. She but, was, she was, she was still hanging we, on. We only had two hundred two million six hundred thousand people on the dole, which and used to go down in that year bit by bit. It went down quite a few chunks, didn't it? By the end as well. You try and tell the young people of today that and they won't believe. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I think it got down to two million, and I remember I remember thinking, oh, it's only two million. But I've always worked. I've never not had a job. All oh, right, I've uh, so uh, spent various okay. people not having a job. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, but um, I mean, the thing is, when she when she got in, it was like half a million. It went up to four million. Came down to yeah. half. Uh, no time for a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I say, what else happened in nineteen eighty eight as well? The pound, the pound note disappeared. We got rid of it. That's weird because I work with people, and you say you say words like pound note, and they just look at you, gone out. Yeah, we had about pound note. Yeah, nineteen eighty-eight, March it went. But this is the thing. I'm, I'm still. Th- you can remember them like it was yesterday, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Green, I don't know. Yeah. You, what you could do, you could go into like a pub with one of them, and you could order a pint. Yeah, and get some silver back. Oh. <laughs> yeah. See, we are sound like our dads now. I could I go to the pictures with five p, <laughs> and I could get a, I could get a bag of chips on the way home, and still have four p in my pocket. Man, you only earned ten p for the week. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that was. Yeah, he never told me that though, did he? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the other stuff that happened. There was. Oh my god. There was. There was all sorts happening with the uh, terrorism was going on. Lots of. Lots of. Um, uh, what you call hijacks, wasn't there? Yeah. There was. There was hijacks. There was that. Um, uh, there was that attack in Belfast on the on the yeah. cemetery. There was there was those two, two corporals were uh, dragged out of that car and killed. Yeah, I remember that. Some got I think three soldiers got killed off duty in Holland as well. That was proper kicking off. You know so, I mean, well, yeah, there was absolutely all sorts. Um, so it was uh, that that was that was terrifying to me. You know, um, yeah. scary, scary stuff going on all all, all over the place. And uh, yeah, the Piper Alpha disaster as well. Yeah, that was big. Yeah, I remember that. That yeah. was that was just I think it was so big and so shocking that people just kind of turned their brains off to it it was like yeah yeah it was huge wasn't it and then obviously I think the biggest the biggest one of them all was Lockerbie <laughs> Pan Am Flight 103 
Good evening. Two hellish nightmares coming together in one terrible reality. That is the story of the Lockerbie disaster, of how death and destruction in the sky brought death and devastation on the ground below. In this special edition on the crash of Pan Am Flight 103, which has almost certainly cost the lives of more than 270 people, we examine the growing conviction that terrorist sabotage was the cause of the disaster. We'll also be considering the startling possibility that warnings of a bomb attack on Pan Am were given, but not fully acted upon. That was December 88, and I remember where I used to work, um, I used to work, in fact, I'd, I'd, left the, I'd left the Masonic Temple in the November and gone to work at the Village Squash Club in Presswich, and the boss, who lived in the adjoining house next to the big complex where we worked, he was off duty that night, and his family were from Lockerbie. Oh my God. And he, he came over, he just came over, he said, I've just come over for a walk to get out of the house. I've just been watching the, the news about, there's been a plane, ex, you know, it's crashed in Lockerbie. I don't know if we knew it was a, an a terrorist attack at first. All we knew was a plane had gone down into Lockerbie, killing 11 people on the ground and everyone else who was on the plane. So, and that was his, where his family lived. And it was like, no one had a mobile phone. You know what I mean? You could yeah. just like quickly phone someone on a mobile. It was like, you're waiting to get them on the landline and then they're not hearing anything there was nobody answering the phone they don't know so so i always remember that happening because it was like it, it, it affected somebody i worked with it was shocking dead scary for them i know and it's it's almost like one of those things where you don't even mention the name lockerbie it's like it's, it becomes this bad yeah. word it's like yeah yeah and i've i've uh, you know obviously drove up to scotland a lot of times and you know you pull off the motorway and go, where am i yeah. And Lockerbie, and it's like yeah, oh, it's just as you go in, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I'm I, guessing if, Dunblane. Dunblane's the other Scottish name you don't like to say either because of what happened at Dunblane. You know what I mean? Same I know. again. Sca it's uh, it, it's it's kind of scary, and it's just like you think if if I open my mouth here, I'll get I'll get filled yeah. in. Um, well, it's funny how like obviously because we're of a certain age. If you said to one of your kids now Hungerford, it would ooh. mean nothing to them. You know what I mean? No. Whereas the year before, that was that was. That was massive, you know what I mean? Everyone knows what Hungerford was of our age, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And yeah, it, weird. Or or if, if you said something like Raoul Moat. Raoul Moat, fishing rod and chicken, I think of, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, it, typically British way, we, we start making <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight away. That, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty uh, vivid in the memory. You, you know you're in trouble when Gaza turns up with the KFC. Yeah, that's that's the now thing, isn't it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, right. Kate Aidy. Kate Aidy's arrived with the film crew. That must be bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened to Kate Aidy? Where is she now? She's probably retired now, isn't she? I know. It was just like... Well, I've been in newsrooms and it's like, you know you're going to get sort of um, saddled with all those stories once. Yeah. Hey, do you want to do this war? Go on, then. Right, Kate's down for war all the time. Put you know. this helmet on before you go. You know what I mean? yeah. Don't worry about it. But, uh, yeah... So Kate Aidy always got wars, and uh, newsreaders had uh, normal names. She's 74 now and retired to Whitley Bay. Oh, fucking hell. I think. Yeah, but you, you stand her in front of a camera, everybody ducks for cover. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know, and, uh, weather forecasters weren't camp. Uh, nobody was <laughs> called... No weather forecaster had a name like Thomas Schaffernacker. Schaffernacker. Made up that, innit? It, that, that has to be made up. Made up that. It can, I mean, my, I imagine he was there in, in you know, uh, in the BBC meeting, go, what's your name? Bob Smith. It's like, it's not, no, it ain't, boy. Shut yeah, we need something much better than that. 
Schaffernacker, get on. Oh, you can't call me that. Since you want a job, or is your P45? Go on then. He's lucky because the first name was Shavenacker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he said, I'm not having that. <laughs> or what's that? Or Billy Bollock. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, that's some, some some things to think about. What what whatever happened to's? So, um, just just to round off 1988, what whatever happened to's? People who people who shuffled off this mortal coil. Um, Kenneth Williams. Uh, oh, matron. Uh, um, uh, carry yeah. on films, wasn't it? Yeah. That was Arthur. There's an emergency coming in in half an hour. Oh, damn it. Then the time for thinking is past. Oh. Give me your answer, will you? Oh, I don't know what to say. Yes or no? Well, yes and no. Yeah. What? What does that mean, yes and no? Well, yes if you're asking me to marry you, and no if you're not. Well, I don't have to get married to prove myself. Well, you do to prove yourself with me. But how do we know we're physically suited to each other? I mean, it's like do-it-yourself with the wallpaper, isn't it? Wallpaper? Yes, you don't just go into the shop and buy enough of the whole room. You tear yourself off a little strip and try it first. That may be so, but you're not going to stick me up against the wall. Yeah, and... Um, Willow the Wisp as well. Do you remember Willow the Wisp? Do you remember Willow the Wisp? No, I thought... There was a question the other day. I think it was on one of the quiz shows. In what year was Willow the Wisp? And I was convinced I was a little kid at tea time watching it before you have your tea. But it was something like 1982. And 1983. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and repeated a lot. Well, I, I probably would have been coming home from school, I'm sure. But it was still on. It didn't look as if it would rain that day in Doily Woods, but... Hello, 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 said Arthur the Caterpillar. A spot of rain. Let us park under this tree till it stops. Which they did, but got wetter and wetter. Um, yeah, they used to put... Do you remember when kids' programmes finished before the news, it'd have a cartoon, a little five-minute yeah. thing like Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, Not Thomas the Tank Engine, either the engine... Paddington Bear as well. Yeah, or Willow the Wisp. They, they were like the ones that used, used to fill five minutes, I'm guessing. You know what I mean? um, so, Kenneth, yeah, I, I got the Kenneth Williams diaries and read them. Crikey, O'Reilly. Oh, he was he was entertaining, money though. He, he was very entertaining, but behind the scenes, what a bitter man. I believe so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I know a few of them. <laughs> well, the thing was, he, I mean, obviously he was gay. And yeah. In a, when that was not allowed, and you know, yeah. so... The, the great thing about Kenneth Williams was uh, around the horn. For me, yeah. that, for me, that's the best thing he was ever on. Yeah. You know, when I mean, we were listening back to it um, just on the BBC iPlayer, around the horn, and it's like it's not even double entendre. Most of this stuff, <laughs> just straight out there. I know it's, it's just it's just like you know <laughs> typical British humour, but uh, you know double entendre all the way. Uh, so that's that's what it was round the horn for me it was the best thing he ever did but he, he had a terrible stomach problem I think and he, he, he used to have, you know uh, saw every single doctor who couldn't cure him with this terrible stomach problem and then he, you know he he slagged off all the rest of the carry-on crew he didn't like them he yeah. didn't, didn't like working with them uh, they, they they were beneath him but the funny thing was the rest of the carry-on crew thought they were great Shakespearean actors or whatever and this crap was beneath them as well but it's yeah. big yeah so yeah, Ken Kenneth Williams died. Um, Russell Harty as well. Russell Harty, I remember him. Yeah, Russell, he was a bit camp, wasn't it, with the chat show fella, Russell Harty. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Not half. Uh, yeah. He, he, he always telling us about how he lived in Giggleswick in Yorkshire. Uh, Russell Harty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
famously beaten up, well, nearly beaten up. By an emu. But no, no. Not, not, oh like, no, Grace Jones. Grace Jones. Grace Jones attacked him in an interview. I remember that, yeah. She's hitting him, he's going, stop it, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you, you wouldn't have a fight with Grace Jones. Apparently she was terrifying, a terrifying woman. I mean, oh yeah. Uh, no, it was um, Emu uh, had a go at Parky, didn't he? That was right, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. looking at my, my notes on Death of 1988. Yeah. Uh, Roy Kinnear. Oh. He was making the Three Musketeers film and he fell off an horse in Spain and he died. Yeah, I remember it after being on. Because obviously it was filmed and they were doing like a medieval thing and he was going like into a castle or something yeah. like And wow. uh, fell off the horse. Yeah, I used to love Roy Kinnear on the Dick Emery. He was great. Film. Yeah, he was great, yeah. Oh. You know, Dick Emery's still alive, isn't he? Is he? I'm Dick sure Emery. he is. Give over. I might, I might be getting him mixed up with someone else. Dick Emery can't be still alive, surely. Oh, no, no, you know what? No, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of what was the guy, the Scottish fella, who did? Oh, Stanley Baxter. Oh yes, Stanley Stan Baxter. I'm getting him mixed up. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He died, in fact, he died in '83. Dick Emery, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was getting him mixed. I used to love Dick Emery. Oh yeah. Dad, I think I got it wrong again. I used oh, to love that. that. I mean. That was wonderful. He used to do all. I used to do all the characters. Yeah, and, he was yeah. dead funny. Yeah. Oh yeah, Dick, Dick Emery. Because yeah, th those were the two. You had the Stanley Baxter who did all the characters. Dick Emery. Did yeah. It. And uh, I always remember my mum was like, "Oh, they're, they're they're a bit wrong. I don't like it." <laughs> yeah, playing a woman. He used to play women a lot, didn't he? I know. I know yeah. Stanley Baxter did, and so did Dingy. Yeah, and uh, well, Daniel Rue. That was his career, but you know. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, a great great British tradition of, of like we we don't like gay people, but so long as it's a bloke just playing a woman on the TV. That's yeah, my my mum, my mum loved Daniel LaRue. She used to go and watch Daniel LaRue all the time. Yeah, if you saw anyone camp, she would go, "Oh, look at that! It's not no, it's never that time, is it?" <laughs> it's terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, yeah, um, lots of lots of people dropping off the perch, and uh, Roger Hargreaves died as well. The Mister Men. Yeah. The Mr. Men, Roger Hargreaves, yeah. Oh, he must have sold millions of books, mustn't he? Well, I, I, I hope he made his money. Uh, I'm sure he did. I mean, he must have sold. I bet you, I'm just thinking I'd have a click on his name if it says how many units he sold, because I yep. bet it's hell of a lot. Oh, yeah. Roger Hargreaves, here we go. Uh, it's not giving me a number, I don't think. No, but I, I, no, bet. I, bet, it's, I bet it's multiple millions. All oh, right. Okay. Must be. Must be lots and lots of millions. Oh, here we go. Eighty-five million <laughs> in twenty languages. Eighty-five million. Wow. It's just one simple idea. Yeah. It's not. It's not as if he was a brilliant artist. <laughs> no, not at all. No offense. It's just like Mr. Yeah. Square. It's just a red square with a hat on it or whatever. <laughs> you know. Mr. And he's, he's from. He's from the same place as. Um, What's he called? Uh, I can't think of his name. He did. He did. The, he did my quiz the other night. I forgot, how can I forget his name? Howard. Howard Walker. Clecky, and he's from Clecky. And Crikey! Right. Yeah. Well, another Yorkshire man. Right. I think so, Albert Arthur did the voices though on the TV oh, thing. Yes. Yes. Of course he did. So Arthur. I think that was I, that. That got my interest as a kid because it was Arthur Lowe and he had a fantastic voice. I loved Dad's Army. Yeah, Mr. Manry. Yeah. 
Loved him. I mean, so. Arthur Lowe was from Glossop in Derbyshire. This is the sad story of Mr. Bump. The trouble was that Mr. Bump just could not help having little accidents. If there was something for Mr. Bump to bump into, he'd bump into it all right. For instance, if you were to see Mr. Bump walking down the street in your town, and if there happened to be something to bump into down that street, then you know what would happen, don't you? Bump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, mate. I'm just thinking then, as what we said about before, about um, people born in 1988. Yep. Who, who the, first t- the first two names that stuck out for me were uh, Joe Lysett. Oh, my lo- God. The lovely Joe Lysett. Uh, Tyson Fury, he was Drop. born in 1988, and then um, Adele, the singer Adele, Crumbs. 1988, wow. But hey, they are all in the 30s now. Yeah, yeah. It's a downward spiral from there, kids. Yeah, um, yeah, it's all over for you. Yeah. Just, just from the from the people who never made it, yeah, just welcome. Just give up now. You'll be yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing I'm writing uh, because we've got this downtime at the moment I've never written an hour so I'm going to write an hour and I'm not obviously there's no Edinburgh even if Edinburgh was on I'd never dream of going to Edinburgh um, I just wanted to do an hour show once even if I've been it when I'm finished with it I just want to do an hour so I'm writing it about um, about all the celebrities I met that was like the main part of it yeah but I wanted to write something to get there you know the journey to get in there so the tagline's going to be a nobody who met everybody who wanted to be somebody. Because obviously the comedy thing, you know, it's um, not a cry for help, but it's like, a look at me, I do this, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I never wanted to be a comedian, but I've never been good at anything. So <laughs> as other than having a laugh with people, I've always had a good sense of humour and a good laugh. So, But that's, that's no good if you can't convert it in front of a microphone. So... Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, I'll do that. I'm right about that. Just an hour, an hour long on that. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Well, so. if you, you write down a list of all the celebs, you know, you've got two minutes on each of those. That's an hour. Oh, it's millions, mate. I know. Yeah, I'd have to start putting red lines through them all. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's, so, that's the way it is. And then you, you, as long as you've got the gag at the end of the observation, you're yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually the punchline actually happened as well. You know, the funny thing happened. So. Well, you could end up with a, with a top ten of your favourite celebrities who you liked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought about doing it like a wheel, a spinning wheel, where you spin the wheel and whoever it stops on, you do that. Oh, yeah, you because... Do, you make got... sure you've got a story for each one. Yeah. I mean, accidentally yeah. stop it at your favourite story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remote control, clicker. Okay, then. Oh, and I'm just I'm just having a look. Just just uh, a, a last thing. Yeah. The, Al- the Albert Dock in Liverpool was reopened. As a By leisure. Prince Charles, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is the thing because um, I um, I'd never been to Liverpool till the mid nineteen eighties, really. Right. At college, and uh, went there for a look around, and I knew some lads from Liverpool who would not shut up about how Liverpool was the best at everything. Yeah. Football, the Beatles, etc. It's just Liverpool, Liverpool. I went there and I thought this place is an absolute tip. <laughs> and I, I walked from. You know the, the middle bit, the Church Street, where all the shops are. Yeah. To, to the Albert Dock. Yeah. When you get off the main shopping bit, it was a Saturday afternoon. There was literally nobody there. I could hear my right. own steps, and there was literally. Yeah. I'm looking up and down this main street, this main city, and there was nobody there at all. 
And I, I got to where the Albert Dock was gonna be and thought, well, this might look nice if anybody did it up ever or, or flat, yeah. one or the other. I, sh- I couldn't believe the place, but now going back there now, it's a thriving place. Yeah. You know, it's really worth a good night out. But well, I- in 1986, I won tickets on the radio. I used to do loads of radio quizzes. I got banned in the end. Yeah. So I used to win all these tickets. So I won a, a ticket to go to an event at the dock, Albert Dock, called Rock Around the Dock. Oh, yeah. And it's before they'd sort of like developed it, obviously, because this was two years prior to Prince Charles opening it. And it was basically Gary Davis introducing various bands. And the night I was there, I saw uh, Fergal Sharkey, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, Ruby Turner, and run DMC. Blimey. And it was brilliant, you know what I mean? It was great. I always remember Ruby Turner coming on because it was the the mid 80s. She had a long like trench coat on like they used to wear. And this scout stood at the side of me shouting, get your Mac off Ruby. (laughs) It's always stayed in my head, get your Mac off Ruby. Every time I see her, you know what I mean? But it was good. Run DMC were fantastic. Did Frankie Goes to Hollywood play live? Were they? I think they all did. I I think they all did, you know? And he was great. I, I, I thought, as a frontman, he was great. Hey, Holly Johnson. Holly Johnson. Yeah, he was brilliant. He was he was so charismatic. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, great. Oh, good stuff. So we so we just just to sum it up, we've rattled on for an hour. Uh, what what do you think? Nineteen eighty eight. Good year. Um, not not the best. Not the best years. Uh, like I say, it was a bit of a. Uh, a, ch- a changing, changing of times for me. Eighty-eight. If you, yeah. you know anything, anything before eighty-six, anything, oh, anything before eighty-six is my time. Really, uh, I stopped counting after about ninety-one. Uh, I if stopped I a- after two thousand. Once we got into the future, I thought, yeah, oh, it'll be great now. If Everything- I do a pop quiz and you say in two thousand and three, I've stopped listening. I don't know. No, <laughs> I, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's kind of what's the number one in the charts these days. Who knows? Well, I've been looking because I've been doing this Popmaster thing. I've been looking at number ones from from like this year, last year, and the year before. Never heard of half of them, mate. Honestly. And back in the day, I could quote the Guinness Book of its singles to you verbatim. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But not yeah. now. But the, these these days, it's rapper ABC featuring X Y Z remixed by. Yeah, that's what I know. Is there's there's, there's hardly ever one person. It's always a, a load of people together. Yeah, three people can have a number one hit that no, nobody's heard of, but it's been downloaded yeah. three million times. Yeah, so, but, and we've sold 5,000 copies. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and three million downloads. Yeah. 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 Right, well, so that's 1988, so we'll, we'll wrap that up there. And if there's any guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, why don't you drop us a line, get in touch, and we'll see who we can get in touch with and discuss a particular year. Maybe there's a year which meant a lot to you and you'd like to be on the podcast. If so, just drop me a line and we'll see what we can do.